0: All right, Zig coming in on the top ten of the show, we have Robin Ford, guitar legend. He's played with a ridiculous amount of projects and people. Miles Davis, George Harrison, Joni Mitchell, Bob Dylan, Kiss, uh, just to name a few. Pure is the new studio album from five-time Grammy-nominated guitarist Robin Ford. It's out now on all streaming platforms, and it's his first instrumental record since '97. And it's great. It's melodic. It has all these different genres involved with it. And it's executed in a uniquely Robin way. He has this way of doing something so simply impactful with his playing. And, um, and we kind of get into that a little bit in the conversation. Now, I became aware of Robin through Frankie Starr, Cleveland guitarist. If you're new here, uh, I'm a full-time musician from Cleveland, Ohio. I play in a band called Sea level Letter C-Dash. And recently, we put out a video with Frankie, and Frankie was the first guy whose open mic I went to, who uh, kind of leveled it. He was like, "Hey, you're at you're right here with your playing, but if you want to get to here and here, check this out." He gave me Robin's Clinics um, Rhythm and Blues, or no the ri- the art of rhythm, the art of blues rhythm, and the art of blues solos. And those clinics in their own in this unique way that was conversational and and kind of nugget he was like a inspiring thought about how to play chords with simplicity. And if you move one finger, it's now this chord. And you like it highlighted this simplicity in, in playing that kind of demystified some of the high thought technical things you see in other clinics. And that really changed a lot of how I approach learning. And, and music and, like, th- reading even from, from this clinic. It was meditative, spiritual in a way. And then after doing some research uh, to learn, Robin spent time with Tibetan monk Trungpa Rinpoche, which started to make clear his s- teaching approach and uh, simplicity approach. So that was the conversation uh, I was trying to dive into with Robin and with the new album, Pure. It's right there, right? Um, but I think I kind of threw him off a little bit, and he wasn't quite ready to dive into something uh, that deep. And uh, it really kind of threw me off. I was like, oh, I felt like I offended him. But at the end, we kind of uh, we kind of wrapped it up and realized that wasn't that. It was more of a time thing. He wanted to, wouldn't be able to dive into something that deep with, with a limited time. And uh, that's, that's all this podcast is, is, is trying to find insight and trying to find forward thinking and stuff to keep... Myself inspired and hopefully you guys listening um, inspired as well because that's all we need. A little positive reaction goes a long way and seeing it work with someone else makes it possible for us. And that's one thing I love about what Robin does is his content that he curates, the the information he shares isn't, isn't just like look at me hanging out with a cool guy, number one. It's a. This is how maybe major six can change your play, can advance your playing on a five chord, and um, from the clinics that I got, which were old clinics, he's been putting out clinics on the regular. He's got a project called True Fire Courses that just came out with a nine-hour course, and it's like it's a documentary of We Declared or a bio, not a bio of of learning from Robin. And, as well, he does a monthly guitar dojo, and it's really cool because it's, like, Zoom chats and, like, video lessons and interviews and all this different stuff that's insightful and inspiring. Um, So you definitely got to check out, if you're a guitar player or if you're creative looking for some inspiration, you definitely got to dive in to the guitar dojo, play with fire. Um, What we're going to do now is we're going to listen to one track off Pure. This is Pure off Pure. Pure off pure, Robin Ford out now all streaming platforms. Um, yeah, so this conversation was cool. Some really insightful nuggets about confidence and the spirituality of blues. Yeah, so I'm excited. I'm excited for you guys to dive in and get in, and hear these insights from Robin. But before I gotta do a plug. If you're new here, I play in a band called c Level. Letters C dash Level. And uh, if you're a guitarist or a guitar fan. I think you'll dig some of our tunes, they're really Robin-influenced in a way, one of which being a song called "Clean as Hands, it's a lap steel tune, and another one being called Stomp, um, as far as guitar work that you guys might dig. We also have some very cool dates coming up, first of which being June 21st, I'm playing a solo set opening up for John Doe. If you listen to the episode that came out last week, I talked to the legendary John Doe, And it's a mind-altering experience to say I'm going to be opening for Mr. John Doe at the Music Box in Cleveland, June 21st. And the full band, we're opening for King Yellowman on July 10th at the Grog Shop. And uh, if you dive any further back into these episodes, you can hear my chat with him. But... If you can also like, rate, review, subscribe to the podcast on the podcast platforms, it helps me keep talking to cool guests and sharing their insights with you. So, without further ado, here's my conversation with Robin. Into it, you grew up with a in a family of musicians, right? Yes. And um, your dad and your mother were both singers, and your your dad was a country singer, right?
1: Well, um, you know, neither my father had been sort of professional as a as a young man. He was a Depression era kid. Uh, his parents left him in an orphanage, and um, so by his early, or I should say, mid to late teens, he basically was uh, kind of bumming around the country, and uh, he played guitar. He sang. And uh, he did do, uh, you know, kind of playing dances. And he was on the radio for a while like that as a singer, guitar player, you know. And uh, But he went into the service and, you know, never really played professionally after that. He, went, he joined the Army, uh, World War II. Uh, my mom, you know, she had studied piano, had a really nice voice. Uh, You know, so it was just kind of, you know, playing at home kind of a thing. And um, so music was encouraged. And uh, all of us, uh, particularly my brother Patrick uh, and myself, you know, really, uh, you know, music was our our great passion. Uh, My younger brother, Mark he came to, he started playing the the harmonica. So pretty soon, uh, my brother Patrick on drums, Mark on harmonica and me on guitar and vocal, we were, we were playing together. We were playing with other people, you know, we didn't always play together. And, um, so, you know, once again, m- music was encouraged, uh, uh, accepted, encouraged, you know, delighted in by our parents. So, uh, there were never any blockages, you know, that, you know, you need to do something else when you grow up kind of thing. That's cool. That's a that's a nurturing environment um, with like.
0: Yeah. So they have like your parents both be kind of like vocalists. were well, your brothers was Mark or Patrick and your, did was singing kind of within the household or was that something you guys kind of approached or you, you yourself approached later?
1: Yeah, it wasn't like a, a thing a, okay. in, in any way, no. Okay. I mean, I did it basically because nobody else would do it. <laughs> well, that's what you
0: got to do, right? You can't <laughs> to get the singer to show up to the gig and the drummer? That's a miracle. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, So, th- like, because uh, you started on saxophone and kind of growing up around, like, singers, like, w- and, and I noticed, especially with Pure, with uh, your latest record, all these like the melodies are really, especially on a guitar. Sometimes guitar like um, leads to a very guitar approach thing, but uh, all your melodies are very singable, and the leads and the improv you take is very linear and has this like vocal, um, like melodic, which sounds dumb, right? Of course, it's music; it should all sound like that. But your approach is very melodic, and I, I was wondering if maybe that that came from starting on saxophone or growing up around singers or just kind of always being aware of uh, of melodic approaches like that?
1: Well, I always loved melodies. And um, when I started sort of studying, I guess you could say, music, you know, when I started really pursuing it as what... Uh, you know, uh, what would become a profession. Uh, You know, I just wanted to play. I just wanted to make music. The people that I was drawn to were all uh, melodic uh, artists, generally speaking. You know, Paul Desmond on the alto saxophone with Dave Brubeck Quartet. That was maybe the first example of uh, a melodic improviser that I really identified with Um, Jim Hall uh, was my favorite jazz guitarist and he was very vocal in his approach, singable. And uh, my ear was always drawn to the guys who, you know, they they sounded like they were talking to you when they played, you know? Yeah. They sounded like they were actually speaking to you. And over the years, that only, you know, uh, was enhanced by listening to Miles Davis, who's definitely a, one of those people, and Wayne Shorter, who was, you know, the tenor player in his group but also recorded on his own and, as everyone knows, went on to be a member of uh, Weather Report, Form Weather Report with Joe Zawinul, And uh, beautiful melodies, you know. I, Ravel, always my favorite composer. And, uh, you know, I just, uh, I, I just oh, I've always just heard music that way. You know and, and anything other than that is is sort of extra you know after the melody <laughs> everything is sort of extra, you know right right if you, if you don't have that melodic thread, then for me, you don't have any music
0: agreed. and every like well, the harmony accompanying the melody or uh, or supporting it so it shines and everything comes through yeah but it's interesting just with guitar sometimes it seems to get like blockaded you know with guitar music sometimes it it doesn't sing like, and maybe like because of the initial approach to to it isn't like with like saxophone you're breathing. There's like this flow to it. Same with like singing. There's like this uh, already. You have to be melodic just because of how you approach it. Um, yeah. So when 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 you and your brother started playing and started venturing out on your own, um, like blues became the focus was that a shift from jazz or was blues in the household or was it just because it was
1: around? Honestly, you know, the music that we were listening to was basically what was found on the radio. And, uh, you know, of course the, uh, the rhythm and blues, uh, that was on the radio was sort of like Pat Boone, rhythm and blues, you know? Yeah. um, But, uh, you know, the Beatles, of course, the Beach Boys, you know, all of that music, surf music was all on the radio. So the thing that was the game changer, uh, when I was 13, I think I might've been 14, 13, 14, I bought a record from the local music store, uh, just on a whim because I liked the album cover and, uh, it was the Paul Butterfield Blues Band, their first uh, recording for Elektra Records. And the lead guitarist was Michael Bloomfield. And it was such a s- shocking, stunning, amazing uh, revelation musically to hear uh, these guys, you know, really playing. You didn't really hear players You know, in the Rolling Stones, the Beatles, you know, it was singers, songs, you know, performances, harmonies, you know, suddenly, you know, with the Butterfield Blues Band, there were these, you know, young musicians and it was an integrated blues band from Chicago who were just really playing, you know, in a a really ferocious way, super energetic. It was it was powerful and um so that you know really got to me and i started copying mike bloomfield's guitar style and eventually uh was able to uh you know play it enough to learn songs off the record and and start playing that music with guys who were older than me my brother patrick's uh three years older than I. And um, he, uh, you know, as a drummer, he was attracted to the music too. And so that was really where we first started playing, you know, in a, what I would say, you know, beyond just high school dance band. Okay. What were some of, like, when you're you're tearing apart these records, what were some of,
0: like, the early, like, uh, discoveries of how this works? Like, does that make sense? Like, when you're when you're figuring out like how Mike approaches the guitar, like what were some of the early like, oh, that's what he's doing.
1: Well, I don't know. <laughs> you know, I was yeah. just doing the best I could with it, and I I found that what he was playing, it wasn't hard to find the notes, um, because it's basically pentatonic scale. You know, uh, he used major sixth. You know, in his playing a lot. You know, he was influenced by B.B. King. Uh and uh but he was just playing everything faster than everybody else. He was, you know, he was kind of a virtuoso. He was. He was the first real blues guitar virtuoso, I would say. Black or white. And um so it was just it just put everything on a whole nother level, I would again, I would say energetically. And um you know, once again, the, the the notes were not. It wasn't like listening to jazz players and trying to figure out what they were doing at all. I could hear what he was playing. It was just you know, kind of catching up to it, and and I did that pretty quickly.
0: With like blues having a limited set of notes, it's it becomes less about what notes you're playing and how you play them, or more and mm-hmm. more about how you play them that makes yeah. you you into this form of music. Um, so that, that, that's really, so that's fascinating that you're able to kind of latch onto that from the rip and like take it apart and like, when did, so that ended up being the Charles Ford band, right? You and your brother after like kind of digging through these, uh, Mike Bloomfield licks and like getting some of them under your finger.
1: Well, yeah, uh, my older brother Patrick and I played in, uh, bands in high school, uh, and then later after he'd gone to college i was playing with him and his you know older friends but uh it was once um uh you know that 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 band with uh, our younger brother mark that was after we were all out of school and um you know i i was uh, 19 so patrick would have been 22 Something like that, and uh, Mark was uh, seventeen. Did your did you guys did your dad ever join you in any of those
0: early shows with this group? No, no. Okay, like, cause met, like right kind of growing up around country music, and like, didn't your parents have a barbershop
1: quartet as well? My father did. Yeah, and my my mother sang in a a a, a ladies you know women's barbershop quartet as well. So, that was just you know local hometown stuff, you know,
0: like just being around like these it's interesting, just kind of it sounds like grown up around all these kind of like similar like as far as like country chords are concerned or progressions like barbershop quartet moves a little bit more, but like uh it's similar to the one four five isms of blues and kind of being immersed in that and then coming through like in exploring it on your own um. So when, when, it, when you guys, when you and your brothers are playing, when does um, Charlie Musselwhite discover, is it you or is it your brother? How did that come about?
1: Well, um, it was before the Charles Ford Band. Oh, okay. Uh, Patrick and I were playing uh, locally uh, in the San Jose San Francisco area with a group of uh, musician friends Uh, and um, we opened for Charlie Musselwhite at a small club uh, for a couple of nights two sets a night and uh, Charlie uh, didn't like his drummer and he loved Patrick and he asked Patrick to play and he fired his drummer for the weekend and Patrick, of course, said, sure. And Then Charlie asked him to go on the road with him, uh, which, you know, we all encouraged him. It's like, of course, man, you know, this is what we're here for, go. Uh, but after three months on the road with Charlie, he wanted to quit and come back and play with me. And Charlie said, well, we'll just hire your brother. So that's how I got the gig with Charlie Musselwhite was so my brother Patrick wouldn't quit. And uh, we did that for about nine months. And then we left Charlie to form our own group, and uh, our brother Mark joined us then. Okay. What were some
0: of the take? Was that like your first tour?
1: Oh, yeah. That was my first time on the
0: road for sure. And what, so, what were some of the takeaways with, with that experience?
1: Oh, you know, it, it's a... Uh, hard for me to really say mm. You know, it was an odd Situation there, and I'm not sure what you're Looking for, you know In the broader course of this uh, Interview, you know, where we're Headed
0: Got Well, I guess uh, uh, it's more Like if that was enough to be like, yeah I gotta keep going, I'm trying to figure out like At one point, what point did Music become life and death for you I read somewhere that there was a point Where that happened, and is it after like doing your first like tour like this where it's like this is what i'm going to do forever or was it even before no that happened? it was
1: it was um it, it was long before that because uh, i mean i wasn't alive that long but uh you know it was um you know certainly before that uh music was always the only thing that i was ever going to do i mean there wasn't ever a second thought in my mind, and and I never even thought of it as something to do. You know, I was just doing it, and um, there, that, you know, I, I have been quoted. You know, I have said that. You know, it 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 is kind of a life and death, life or death issue, <laughs> because you know, once I discovered it. You know, it was, you know, for me, you know, in the chaos of being a young person with very little guidance and no money and um, just trying to survive in the world. uh, You know, I I had nothing else, you know, uh, in mind. (laughs) I mean, it was just it was something that I felt passionately about. You know, it's this is what I—it's just what I wanted to do. It was intuitive. It wasn't a thought process. It wasn't a—you know—something that I really ever thought about. I was just doing it, and this is what I was doing. And I wasn't going to do anything else. You know, so
0: that's beautiful. And it's such a blessing to have have that—to have this blind ambition to drive you towards a thing. Like so many people, I feel are constantly wandering to find that. it's very true. Yes. And it's people like you and people like other people who find their passion and follow it. And people seeing that leads them eventually to their way in some form. Um, Mm. at least that's what I, at least that's what I'm hopeful for, Robin. I'm hopeful that, um, yeah, yeah. I'm hopeful. But if you chase your passion, hopefully someone else can be like, you know what? I can, I can make that film or I can, I don't know. I can write that book or whatever it is. Yeah.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, I mean, I'm sure you've probably noticed that from doing this. Like people, have, oh, you're still doing the music thing, and
1: like, yeah, what do you? You know what I mean? Like, has that yeah. come around? Oh, you know, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I mean, not really. Yeah. I mean, I, I've been so you know immersed in it, and I've been in the public eye for a very long time. You know.
0: Yeah. Um, one one so one another question I get like with a uh, Trumbo Rico, uh, Ricochet. With his like crazy with wisdom approach, I can talk today with the idea of that. Like I know you studied with him um, during a kind of break. One thing I find fascinating about blues music is it's kind of this formless form in a way, like because it it it's all there's no you're not worried about what notes you're playing. You know what they are. It's how you do it, and it has this kind of sense of like uh, anything can fit, and it's more of like what. M- madness from your life is brought to it. Um, Did you find a similarity with the philosophical kind of mindset of
1: crazy wisdom in the music you've been doing? Well, um, you know, Trungpa Rinpoche, uh, Tibetan Buddhist meditation master, um, was very uh, attractive to me at the time because I was very much a spiritual seeker you know, reading tons of books and, uh, you know, practicing yoga and to some degree anyway. Uh, I had an opportunity to, uh, move to Boulder, Colorado for a year, which is where he lived and was teaching over the summer, uh, at a place called Naropa Institute. And, um, so, uh, I went and, um, you know, became very, uh, I would say, initially infatuated, you know, with his style of teaching, which was uh, very much uh, outside of how most of us thought spiritual a spiritual person would manifest. And, uh, you know, so from that point of view, you know, uh, you know wh- where you have, you know, like kind of the sacred and the profane uh you know running up against each other mm-hmm. um, the blues is very much that <laughs> the blues is very much the sacred and the profane running up against each other so i think there might have been some openness you know uh, uh some some uh crosstalk you know <laughs> yeah between the the two uh, for me, and uh, so I found myself, you know, very uh, open to his teaching, listening to his teaching.
0: What what was that th- being in that school? What was that like? Because like there was some there was some hat like Ginsberg was there. Like it was like was it just th- th- just like I don't know what was that like. <laughs>
1: Well, it was uh, very challenging. Yeah. Because uh, indeed, all um, norms were sort of being challenged, you know. Even being nice hmm. was challenged, you know. Um, How so? Like, oh, it's just, you know, whatever you think. Uh, Uh, you know, good is, you know, good and bad, you know, just very much juxtaposed, you know, where you can see how being good is also being, you know, ungenuine, Mm. you know, you're not actually saying what you think, who you're not really expressing who you really are, you're just being nice and ignoring this situation, you know like that yeah 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 just every he's like and i mean everything it was just really in your face like that it was awful (laughs) and uh you know at the same time like wow yeah you know like one of uh i remember um some was kind of a an advertisement for naropa institute you know that the, the catchphrase was, we're looking for people who are willing to look at themselves. And that came directly from Trump you know. So it was just really getting honest, getting real, you know, getting down to it, you know. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, like that. Wow. Because, like, you know, that's uh, even,
0: I guess, coming into it from a, a, a musical, like, kind of career, you kind of, you do that a lot in a way like you're analyzing what you sound like to other people constantly you know i personally find with vocals that's the hardest thing in the world you're like oh do i do i sound like that is that let's run it again you know you're constantly kind of hearing what you sound like um so going into that like was it were you kind of ready for that or did it like hit twice as hard like what did you come out like with less confidence maybe than
1: going in you know, we're, this is a very deep conversation, <laughs> and I'm not used to this with interviews. It's very
0: personal. Kind of, so when when we bounce to now, like with Pure, and mm-hmm. what I find fascinating about Pure, c- compared to like the last like maybe five records that came before it, they were all like singer songwriter like kind of influenced. Maybe City City Life was different, in um, like but Pure is it. Pure in the sense because it goes back to just your guitar
1: singing? Uh, well, you know, the Pure record evolved out of uh, the lockdown. Because I had, I had moved to Nashville to get off the road and to produce records. And that started happening for me. And um, then the lockdown occurred. And all of that went away. So I thought, what am I going to do? And the answer to that was, I'll produce myself. And uh, I approached the label and I said, you guys ready for another record? And they said, yes. And, uh, I had been, uh, producing guitar players and uh, I'd been writing for them and, uh, I'd worked with Bill Evans, tenor saxophone player, uh, on a project. I'd written for that. So I was writing and really focusing on instrumental music. I was focusing on the guitar. And um, I felt like making an instrumental record, and they were open to that. So that was great. I wasn't sure that they would be. Uh, And so I started writing. And um you know, uh I, I every, every record I've ever done is, is different. There isn't a single record that I've made that sounds like any other one. The uh Blue Line series was all, you know, kind of uh blues and R and B and I was developing myself as a songwriter. But they all sound really different, and the focus is in a different direction. So uh, with this record, uh, first instrumental record I've made for a very long time, the last being uh, Tiger Walk. And Tiger Walk was in the 90s. Yeah. So um, it was uh, really refreshing for me, and... uh, I don't know if you've seen the quote. I don't know if you've ever seen the hard copy of that record, of the recording. But, uh, you know, I I have said that it's, you know, probably the most complete uh, expression of my own personal musical vision that I've ever done because I controlled every aspect of the record. You know, I'd played everything except the bass and drums and those things were, you know, at first, you know, either programmed or the bass played by me uh, in a real simple way so that I created the foundation as well of the rhythm section. And here's the idea, I, you know, as a drummer, I want you to do this, you know, and uh, rather than being influenced by other musicians, which is what happens when you go into the studio with a group they influence the music and it's like, okay, you know, we're in this together. But in the case of Pure, it's entirely my, my vision, you know, uh, of course, enhanced greatly by my co-producer engineer, Casey Wozner. Uh, Casey is, is just fantastic at uh, uh, finding sounds, you know, manipulating sounds. Uh, he has a very nice home studio that he's really dialed in, so he and I could work intimately together on the music. And uh, he was very helpful uh, in creating the the sonic palette of the record. You know. Yeah. And it, it's a vast sonic palette too. Because, yeah. Like, because I went through
0: all the all the solo records and all the LA Express records, getting ready for this, and like, your your the the amount of work you're on is that's a huge list and like mm-hmm. like every every record just like you said has its own approach and like what was in within this record it kind of has that within it every song has its you it's like a, you can tell it's like a style you're passionate about and have spent a lot of time thinking and like or not thinking or at least feeling and experiencing how to like convey in that way the song "Pure"
1: itself um, is that a is that a oud on that song? There is an oud, yeah. It's played by uh, a great musician out in Los Angeles named Jimmy Malis. Jimmy Malice, yeah. And uh, it, you know, he, uh, I sent, I sent the tracks after we created them uh, to Jimmy. Uh, he overdubbed. You know the oud. Uh, there's a uh, also tabla on there. Uh, it's also an overdub. A man who lives in LA, Satnam. I can't think of his last name. Uh, and the drums were uh, also overdubbed to you know a, a track that we created in Nashville. Um, drummer is Tass Panos. So all three of them are Greek. I'm sorry. Jimmy and uh malise and, and toss are Greek and satnam uh is of an uh, Indian heritage playing the tabla, so it's some real authentic you know uh middle eastern shit there
0: yeah <laughs> yeah,
1: but that that it's pure
0: you know it's in the title it's in the song um, yes now like a what with like with kind of approaching that um you also you have a lot of like, uh, clinics. You seem to be like putting out a lot of a lot of like, video clinics and like video lessons and that. Um. So the kind of like, be in the now with everything with teaching and like, con- Is this like a is because of how the, uh, I guess. Uh, do you find it easier to kind of like write when you have like, ways to te- share some of these things that are in your head like um like guitar approaches i guess when you when you talk it out and share how to do it does that help you write for
1: like an album like pure no they're they're really unrelated okay. teaching and writing are, are two different subjects and uh the uh the teaching side of things is something that i originally started doing simply as a you know a source of uh subsidiary income, as they say, you know, just another way to make some money uh, as a professional musician. But uh, I came to really enjoy it. And uh, it started to really expand for me when I started doing um, instructional materials for the True Fire company, which I don't know if you know them. Yeah, you just put out a course with them, right? I've put out about 16, 17 courses with them, and they keep coming. Right.
0: One just came out this month. It's like a, I think it was 93 hours or something. Nine hours. It was nine hours.
1: Yeah, that is a complete uh, biographical, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, uh, what do you call it? It's like, um, you know, when you do a uh, the God. story of someone's life. Um, uh, bio, auto bio, <laughs> lesson, lesson <yeah>. bio. <laughs> documentary. Okay. <laughs> it's like a documentary in length and scope. So uh there is that. But even more importantly, which I always appreciate having an opportunity to mention, is uh, the Robin Ford Guitar Dojo. Are you yeah. familiar with that?
0: Yeah, that's really cool. You got some really cool stuff going with that, with the
1: interviews and the Zoom chats. Yes. So Kelly Roberts and myself have been developing that now for, <clears throat> I think we really started, you know, we we launched it, you know, not all that long ago, maybe nine months ago. And uh, we're continually, you know, adding content. There's new content every week. It, it, it goes on and on and it keeps getting better and better. And, um, you know, so... That has been, you know, where I've really expanded um, myself in, in the realm of education, you know, of creating uh, not only individual lessons, but courses. And uh, it it just keeps going. So, um, yeah, it's an entirely different aspect of the musical life, you know. Definitely. I... I, I sometimes find that
0: harder to keep going in a way. You know, like w- when you develop some of your your ways to say things and the ways to write and ways to express yourself, you're like this is all I got. How do I
1: how do I teach next week? <laughs> yes, uh, that that is something one always wonders, but the way I feel is uh, you know, if if I just sit down and pick up the guitar and just start to play, there's always uh it, you know it always there's always something in there that um is fresh you know it's uh, you know it, it it doesn't it's not just like okay here's g7 here's the g7 you know here's the uh, mixolydian mode you know i mean like it it's about being musical and that's how i keep it fresh you know it's like all right so how do we make this musical you know and and you can do that forever you know you can just keep going in that direction so i i, I never locked myself into it it being t- you know too um technical you know i i approach the whole thing from a musical you know p- point of view and that's what keeps it fresh for me cuz it's always there's always something new you know there's always some just little feeling you know some nuance some some way of uh, talking about it in musical terms and getting people to focus their attention towards how is this musical, you know, not, not what's the bones, you know, what's the heart and blood, you know?
0: Yeah. That's a beautiful way of putting it. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it, there's always, there's always a weird, there's always a weird flutter and like, it's like a conversation, I guess. You don't really, you're not thinking of everything you're going to say. You can just kind of, you know you just got exactly. kind of say it
1: you know exactly
0: um now I've, I've uh i've grown up with a. there's this uh guitar player from cleveland his name's frankie Starr. i don't know if you've ever come in contact with him but he uh he, he like a back in the day he gave me your two clinics there was a the blues uh rhythm clinic and the blues solo clinic and mm-hmm. um Not to not to dive further back in the past, but I think it's relative. But like, um, there's a point in there. You say um, confidence is key, and like, Uh which I agree. And like, so much of like when you when you see a band like Kiss, like musically they're not doing anything crazy, but they're saying what they need to say, and they're saying it full heartedly. Um, But when you're like, like when we talked about some of your early influences, like. Um, being inspired by the Beatles or Miles Davis, these are both people you ended up getting to make music with and like, uh, which is has to be mind-blowing but how do you how, how, how do you keep your confidence in that moment, like
1: well uh or <laughs> at
0: least <I> attempted to <laughs> yeah
1: um Well, uh, you know, with Miles, I was, of course, terrified uh, when I first met him and terrified when I hit the stage. Uh, But after my first guitar solo, I looked at him and he was looking at me and he just said, damn. And I'm like, "Okay, well, I guess he liked it and then i just had the proverbial talk with myself in the mirror literally the next day and i just said this isn't going to work you can't hang in this environment if you're afraid you know and so i literally just threw a switch i mm. just went you know i'm going to i'm going to act like i've been here my whole life like it, it's my band you know what i mean yeah and um so, you know, I mean, that took some nerve and, uh, it, it was absolutely the right choice. You know, I saw Miles was, you know, we played the next night, second show I played with him and, and he was smiling at me and I'm like, okay, so he's good with this because I was, I was almost overly confident, you know? So it was, a just a, I just pushed myself, you know, to, uh. To not be afraid. Just, like, be cool, you know? Yeah. And, uh, it worked. So I made that shift in
0: one day. That's in, that's incredible. But it, I, uh, Victor Wooten has this bit about, you know, musicians, they should take an acting course. And, like, and really kind of indulge in that and be able to have that kind of, like, one, being a performer, but also, in this case, being able to do that. That's amazing. Um... Wow cool, cool um, so what's going with thirteen j records? Is that kind of a spin with the guitar dojo? How's that involved with everything?
1: well, thirteen j records is really uh, it, it isn't something i i focus on any longer mm, okay I, it became clear that running a record company was really not something uh I was prepared to do, uh, far too time-consuming in a way that was non-musical. So I basically, uh, you know, created 13J Productions, which, uh, you know, became an LLC. And that's just, you know, all I need to do is find funding and then I can produce records uh, in that way. So that's where I was, you know, once again, before um, the lockdown. You know, I had formed 13J Productions and I was starting to produce records. So uh, rather than be a record company, which was just a bad idea. Yeah. <laughs> but a production company, why not, you know, uh, use other people's money uh, and, uh, and produce records and then get find a home for them, you know. Right. So but- that's what I started doing. Uh, but again, after the lockdown, you know, it just changed everything and um, I no longer really have an interest uh, in producing unless someone calls me. I'm not pursuing it. I would do it if there was a real budget, and I like the artist, but it's just not something I'm pursuing anymore. So I'm moving to Paris uh, in April, uh, planning on living in Europe, and uh, kind of semi-retired, but happy to play, happy to record as long as it's a pleasure. I don't want to work anymore. Yeah. That's a no more, a, no more dues. Beautiful. Let's, well, that's, that's a,
0: a one with everything how I, it is now. I can't imagine like a record company like, yeah, it, it just seems it'd be like so much work with streaming and this like, this constant like kind of content like hustle you have to do. And, um, one thing I admire about what with you do is like how they're they're educational, they're informational. It's not just like a clip of someone doing something. It's like this, it's a pure intended thing, and um, that's I'm I'm glad to hear that you can you uh, you can move to and like just do things for enjoyment as opposed to like feeling like you have to do this.
1: You know, that's awesome. Yeah. That's the dream. It is, uh, you know, that's where, it, that's the way it began, you know, it was just to do it, mm-hmm. you know, out of, Damn. out of joy, out of, you know, uh, you know, a desire to express yourself in the world, you know, and uh, it seems to have come full circle uh, in a very nice way. And uh, <laughs> so uh, I'll be living in Paris for the next year, come April, and we'll see what happens from there. Well, congrats! That's awesome, Robin.
0: Thank you so much for spending time and talking with me. Um, sorry if I pinched a nerve somewhere. You know, I know a lot of people kind of dive into like a lot of the same stuff with you, but that history is so dense, you know. So yeah. I, yeah. So we I just
1: don't have the time to cover it here. <laughs>
0: right, right, right. So uh, I appreciate I appreciate uh, your time and like. Uh, Sorry if it went too deep. I don't mean to, to put you in an uncomfortable sitch. So I'll, I'll snip that bit no, out. No, no,
1: but that, that's that's quite all right. It, again, it's just really a time aspect, and you know.
0: Gotcha. Yeah, because yeah. I was you got me turned on to Trumpa, and like, I I started because I've read Ramdas and like, you know, some of his like kind of guys that were circling around him. But I've never dove into him, and I'm like, I want to have that conversation with Robin. You know, like. <laughs> so especially with the new record being pure and kind of like the whole circle of where how we ended it where it goes and where it stops that's really cool so well maybe over a beer sometime sounds good my friend thank you um all right dave all right robin